All of our campus pastors are going live today at our campuses, so I'm sorry or you're welcome this morning. I don't know whichever uh, that would be for you. But we're going to be looking this morning at how to engage our community. We have an incredible community here in Ringgold, and what we want to do is be more than a church. We want to be on mission, engaging our community. Here at Rockbridge, we talk about glorifying God by connecting people from all walks of life to life in Christ. And this summer, we've been doing that locally as well as globally. Uh, we have been on mission throughout all of the world, taking the name of Jesus. You can see some pictures from our mission trips that have taken place this summer. We've already been in Moldova, in Ethiopia, in Haiti, in Dominican Republic, in Nicaragua, in Honduras. Uh, we have a team that just got back this week from Dominican and Nicaragua. There's a team leaving to tomorrow for Ukraine, and uh, we are just going across the ocean to make Jesus known as well as here locally. Uh, We had a team get back yesterday from Florida, and uh, we have mission trips all over the country and all over the world as we are on mission to connect people from all walks of life to life in Christ. Next summer, uh, we're going on mission again, and we would love for you, when, when we roll it out towards the end of this year, we'll roll out the mission trips. We'd love for you to sign up and go with us on one of our mission trips to make Jesus known, because here at Rockbridge, we want to be known more than just a church that meets on Sunday. We want to be known more than just a place that has good music and good preaching and good coffee and comfortable seats and a cold building. We want to be known as a place that connects people from all walks of life to life in Christ. Because when you strip everything away, what's at the core matters. And that is connecting people to life in Christ. We want to be known to live out our mission and not just be some cute words that we say. But it's what we live by. It's what keeps us going. Rockbridge Ringgold started almost five years ago. And we have been on mission to connect people from all walks of life to life in Christ. Not just a certain look or a certain social standing or a certain attitude, but all walks of life. To life in Christ. And what that means is that we are on mission. Now, I want to ask you a question. What do you think of when you hear the word Christian? Automatically, some things start popping in your mind. So don't answer that out loud, but keep thinking about it. Let's play a little word association game. What do you think of when you think of CrossFit? Automatically, this is what I think of. A gym, you got people throwing weights around, you got chalk. I tried CrossFit once, I puked. I was like, forget that, I'm never doing it again. Josh does it all the time. You got a CrossFit shirt on right now. You're the spokesman. Good. What about this one? What about good college football? This is what I think of right here. Don't throw Georgia up. Yes, Florida State Seminoles. That's good football right there. We're going to beat Bama first game of the season. It's going to be great. What about this one? How about when I say NASCAR fan? automatically some connotations throw up in your brain, don't they? You're thinking this. Some of y'all think this right here. That's actually Zach Dallas is back. Yes, he's our worship leader. Anyhow, so uh, how about this one? Great American actor. Some of y'all saying this is who I think of. Good old Chuck Norris. That's American right there, right? No? Okay. Hey, just a free one. Tonight, 6.30 to a little bit after dark, our student ministry is going to be having American night. Uh, this is going to be why we'll food, we'll have water games, Get, come prepared to get soaked, and then after dark, we got fireworks. It's going to be the best fireworks display in Catoosa County. Lake Winnie ain't got nothing on Rockbridge. It's going to be great. So that's tonight, 630 to a little bit after dark for students, 6th grade through 12th grade. So what I asked you a few minutes ago was to think of something that has to do with the word Christian. 
Andy Stanley said if you asked 10 different people, you'd probably get at least nine different answers on what a Christian is. We could walk around and ask a lot of people, maybe some of the responses would be this. Throw it up there, please. Christians are judgmental, homophobic moralists who think that they are the only ones going to heaven and secretly relish in the fact that everyone else is going to hell. Unfortunately, there's a lot of taglines that come with Christians. There's a lot of things that people think of when they hear the word Christian. Sadly, we've given them a lot of those things that have turned out to be true. There's a lot of times where Christians are some of the meanest people that you can meet. A lot of times they're very judgmental. They want you to stick to their traditions and their formalities and the way that we do things in church sadly has become an insider-focused mentality. Church has become for us and not those sinners on the outside when in all realistic reality, we're supposed to be going and being the church. You see, church is not just this building. This is a nice building. We rent this building and we've done some great things in here. Church is not the building that we're going to build across the highway and have a great auditorium and stuff like that. That's just brick and mortar. We are the church. You are Rockbridge Community Church. And what I want to ask you this morning is to consider what you're following and who you're following. Because sometimes we just label ourselves a Christian without any mindset as to who we're following. In fact, it says in verse 11, Acts 11, uh, 26, it says, And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You got to understand something. The disciples didn't even call themselves Christians. It was kind of a derogatory term. Do you catch that? It says called. That's passive. The disciples wanted to be labeled followers, disciples, a connector, connecting people to life in Christ. When you consider the word Christian is only used three times in the whole Bible, and the word disciple is used 281 times in the New Testament alone. There are some connotations that come with that because disciple is much clearer about what we actually are when we become a follower of Jesus Christ. So I want to look at Matthew chapter 4 and see Jesus calling out his first four followers, his disciples. Verses will be up on the screen, verse 18 through 22. It says this, and he was walking along the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them. I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They're in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them. I love verse 22. Immediately, they left their boats and their father, and they followed him. So I read this passage of Scripture, and I wonder, why did the first disciples follow Jesus? Now, I kind of got ruined as a kid because I'd watch Jesus films and I would, you know, we'd rent these Bible stories come to life on film and you always had Jesus played by a six foot white dude that had lice Ric Flair flowing hair and wore a white bathrobe with a blue slash and when he walked, you know, his upper body didn't move and that's what I thought of every time I thought of Jesus and so he shows up and you see the disciples in the boat mending their nets, they're fishing, and Jesus says, follow me. And in the movies, it's almost like a mysterious, a mysterious, a mystery kind of weird way that they're like, yes, master, we will follow you. It's kind of awkward and stuff. 
And when I see this written out here, you've got to understand the history behind it. The context of why they followed Jesus. It goes back to the custom of that day. A rabbi would have students that would follow them, kind of as their apprentice, underneath them. They would learn from them. There was a name for these students, which was the Talmudim. These young men were called a Talmudim, which means they are a student. They are learning. The custom was for them to follow a rabbi. In this instance, in our story, Jesus goes to the disciples, and he says, you follow me. They had an opportunity of a lifetime in this moment. That's why they left their trade. They left their livelihood. They left pops in the boat and jumped out and followed Jesus. He commanded them, follow me. The command here is simply, your place is following me. Watch how I do it. Joseph Stoll, who's the pastor of a church in Chicago called Moody Church, he said, we have become quite happy to call ourselves Christian with little or no thought of following. He didn't just say, call yourself a disciple, but actually follow me. And that comes with a promise that I will make you to become fishers of men. It's important to know that when Jesus called these men, they were not at the time what Jesus knew they would become. That's why there is a process. Write this one down if you're taking notes. He doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. He doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. You've got to understand, Jesus chose the B team here. These guys are rough, tumble, not the cream of the crop. They, they have no filter. They're not necessarily the guys that you want to squad up with if you're wanting to start something important. Jesus used these four and a few more to spread his message. We're here today as a result of what these disciples did. They took the message of Jesus and spread it. That's encouraging because he chose the B team. He didn't go find the most talented because they could have done it on their own without his power. He gets these guys who are lowly little fishermen and he says, here's the process. I'm going to, you're going to become fishers of men. This is an important one to write down here if you're taking notes. He chose us, not we chose him. His selection here in choosing these men to follow him gave them, you have to imagine, great confidence. We're just fishermen. Nobody believes in us. We're rude. We're crude. We're not the ones that are going to stick out. Jesus chose us. That gives us confidence. He says, I choose you, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to bring forth fruit in your life. So I read a verse in Matthew chapter 28 that we quote here often. That's the great command. Not a suggestion, not a if you want to, but it's the command. It is the commissioning of followers of Christ. It says this in Matthew 28. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When I was in college, there was a book that radically changed my life. It was called The Master Plan of Evangelism, written by a name by Robert Coleman. I want to read you an excerpt that came from that. It says, when will the, when will the church learn this lesson? 
Preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice the work of preparing leaders for evangelism. Nor can occasional prayer meetings or training classes for Christian workers do this job. Individual women and men are God's method. God's plan for discipleship is not something, but someone. Discipleship is making as simple as teaching someone what God is teaching you. It's showing that we have a commission, a command to make disciples. Now, I understand that life gets hard. I understand that life gets frustrating at times. There are things that want to steal your attention. You wake up in the morning, the kids are going crazy, the boss is calling. You've been on the phone with the cable company that added $200 to your bill, and you can't figure out why. And you get to the end of the day, and you're exhausted, you're worn out, but nothing on your to-do list has been done. I'm worried that that's what some of us are going to do. We're going to go through all the motions of being a Christian. But we're going to get to the end of the day and never have done one thing that we have been commanded to do, and that is make disciples. Let me give you a radical thought here. God gives you your vocation in part as a platform or a network of relationships through which you can make disciples. Disciples, the position that you're in, you may hate it, you may curse it, but God has you in that for such a time as this for a reason. It's a platform to make him known. Now, don't abuse the platform. Don't misuse it. And don't interpret this as, oh, I got to go beyond, over and above. If you're a public school teacher, there's certain things you can and can't do. If you're a doctor, I'm not telling you to go to the bedside of your patient and be like, turn or burn, turn or burn, you're going to die, turn or burn. Don't do that. That's awkward, right? If you're a dentist and you're like, oh, you have a cavity, just like the deep cavity in your soul, you need Jesus. Don't do that. Don't go weird, but be a disciple. Use the platform that he has given you to make disciples. Your profession naturally puts you in contact with people that are more likely to listen to you than they will ever listen to me or Matt or any one of our preachers. You have a relationship. You're with them. Most of you think coming to church is to support us, to support me, to support Matt, to support our staff. It's the other way around. We're here to support you. We're here to train you. We're here to encourage you. We're here to light a fire under you that says, hey, we want to show you how to love God. And as a result of loving God, you're going to love others and ultimately live sent on mission. It's more than some cute words that we stand on a stage and say. We want it to be driven to the very core of who you are. I tell people I work at church and that's kind of frustrating. I I feel like at times I left the ministry when I started working in church 14, almost 15 years ago because I'm around Christians all the time. Most of our staff are Christians. Still praying for this worship leader, but most of our staff are Christians and and I'm here all the time. It's church 24-7, 365. You are in the mission field all the time. Some of you are going to wake up in the morning and go to work. You're going to be frustrated because you don't like that job. You're cursing that job. You hate that place. You hate the place that you have to go. But have you ever stopped and thought, this is the place that God has allowed me to be? This is a platform. 
There's a question that I want to ask you that I have literally asked people for a very long time from folks that are doctors to dentists to landscapers to school teachers to guys that play in the NFL to country music singers. I've asked them this one question. Have you ever seriously considered that God gave you your skill not just as a tool for making money, but as a platform for spreading the gospel. Sometimes when we think of that, it changes our mindset of where we're at in life. Who's working with you? Who's at the grocery store with you? Who's in line at the ball field in the concession stand line when you're griping about all this stuff? Who's around you? What platform has God given you? Where are you at in life, and are you connecting people? Let me make it very practical for you. Here's five things that you need to be true in your life if you're going to be a connector, a disciple maker. One, you have to own the assignment. you got to own the assignment. Probably the biggest thing about this is just acknowledging what God has told you to do. Stop cursing your job. Stop hating the place that you're in in life and start looking for the assignment that he has given you while you're in this place in life. You have to own the assignment. Jesus said, follow me. I will make you to become fishers of men. Unfruitfulness is not the problem. Not being bothered about unfruitfulness is the problem. You see, when we are in him, we are bearing fruit. We're reproducing this fruit. And when that's not taking place and we're okay with that, that's when the problem really occurs. Here's the second one. Understand the method. It's life on life. Jesus' method was life on life. Robert Coleman said in his book, whether he was addressing the multitudes that pressed upon him, Whether Jesus was arguing with the Pharisees who sought to ensnare him or speaking to someone lonely beggar along the road, the disciples were close at hand to observe and to listen. And through this manner of personal demonstration, every aspect of Jesus' personal discipline of life was taught to his disciples. Ladies and gentlemen, can I let you know this morning that one living sermon is worth a hundred explanations. One sermon lived out is worth a hundred explanations. I had a professor, Dr. Hall, who taught me more about life just by the way that he prayed and talked and the car rides going to lunch than I ever remember sitting in class listening to him. The method is life on life. Now, there's a cost to living this way. Robert Coleman says such close and constant association, of course, meant that virtually Jesus had no time to call his own. There's one thing that I'm guilty of that a lot of us are guilty of is that we like our free time. And we will get home and open the garage door and pull into it, and we close the garage door before we ever get out of our car because we saw crazy neighbor. We don't want to have a conversation or maybe the fact they were like, oh, thank God they shut the door. We don't have to talk to them because you're the crazy neighbor. You got one like that? You need to open up your life and share it. One thing that we say is that the power of hospitality is a great tool for evangelism. Open up your home. Have some folks over for a meal. It could either lead to a great conversation or a very awkward one. I don't know, but here's a gut check. Is there one or two or three people in your phone right now 
that you have a relationship with that are not followers of Christ, that you can shoot a text to and say, hey, let's go grab a meal. Hey, let's, let's sit down and chat. I am not saying, and please don't hear me, I am not saying you call up somebody that you know is not a follower of Christ and you take a Bible and you preach at them. That's the wrong method because you're going to turn them off. They're going to start labeling what we talked about Christian. They're going to start putting some labels on that. You have a relationship with them. You can start speaking into their life. I have a buddy. We lived over here in Ringgold before we moved to Salt Lake uh, many years ago. This house next door to us was the party house. They had a nice back deck, and everybody would go back there, and they would hang out, and I would get invited over. They were like, all right, everybody talk good to preachers here now. And I'm like, oh, great, here we go. Everybody's changing when I walk in. And so I walk over there. I got my gallon of sweet tea. You know, they're like, oh, Uncle Si's here. And I'd show up, and we'd hang out, and it was a great time. Well, our neighbor across the street started going to church with this girlfriend, that he, uh, with, this, with this lady he was engaged to. He ended up getting saved at one of their meetings. And the way that he, the way that that church taught was you have to look a certain way and talk a certain way and act a certain way. And I am not even kidding. One Friday night, he's back here drinking and hooting it up with everybody on the back deck. The next Friday, all of those guys show up and he's standing on the street, uh, the sidewalk across the street from the house in a full blown suit and Bible preaching at the guys that are going back there to party on the deck. As a pastor, my blood started boiling. I walk over there. I was like, hey, bro, let me, let me just be real with you. You were back here drinking with them last Friday. Kind of look like an idiot over here preaching today. You have a relationship. He missed the opportunity for a relationship to start. You think, well, in our minds, and I understand this, we live in the buckle of the Bible belt. We have it in our minds that it has to look a certain way and people need to come to our church and dress and act and talk like we do. Who do you know that would never step foot into here that your life is preaching a sermon a lot louder than any preacher can grab a microphone and talk about the Bible? Who are you speaking to? Who's watching the sermon of your life right now? What are you selling them? When we think of this, We have to understand that the gut check in life is who's watching the message that I'm preaching. Here's the third one. The third one is you got to be ready with a plan. My buddy wasn't ready with a plan. He just said, man, I've been saved and this is how we have to do it. So I want to preach at them. I want to save them. What's your plan? Is your plan to give the method life on life? Is it to know where your friends are at, your family's at, your neighbors are at, and say, I want to meet them where they are? You cannot give somebody something you don't have. You can't go out and say, man, I want to give and give and give to these folks that don't know Jesus. But if it's not real in your heart, it's going to come off superficial. You've got to give out of the overflow of what God is doing in your life. Number four. This seems so elementary, but you have to do it. you got to make an invitation. Here's some steps. Invite them to church. That's a huge one. Super easy one. Invite them to your small group. It may seem super elementary. Invite them. Say, hey, why don't you just come with me? Come with me to church. Let's hang out. If they don't want to, that's fine. Hang out with them where they're at. You don't ever say somebody's no for them. How about this? Invite a new family over from your school or neighborhood for dinner. Go to lunch with somebody new at work. 
If you're having trouble getting to know an unbelieving person, start frequenting the same place of business and get to know the folks that work there. If you go with me anytime right down the road here on Alabama Highway, I love Zaxby's. I go there all the time, and I know almost all the workers by name there. I walk in, and it's just over time getting to know who they are. Walking in, they're like, hey, JC. I'm like, hey, Terry, how are you, bud? You know, just getting to know them. Now they're starting to figure out, oh, he's a pastor of a church. I never told him I'm a pastor. Can I just let you in on something? I absolutely love when people say, dude, you don't look like a preacher. I'm like, right, that's, that's the greatest joy in my life because preachers normally have that nice hair and suit and tie. I have one suit. I marry and bury in that suit, okay? So if you see me in a suit, it's either a good day or a bad day, however you look at it. All right, um, but you make an invitation. And if you're going to go to the same place of business to do this, this is discipleship. Tip well. I was a waiter when I was in college, and I worked on Sundays. You know the one day that I hated working was Sundays? Because I knew the people that were going to complain the most, the people that were going to have the worst attitudes, and tip the least were the church crowd. It happened every Sunday. You ask anybody that works in the food industry, they're like, Sundays are a horrible day to work. That's labeling us. That's us getting labeled because of things that we do. Change the method. Life on life. Leave a tip. My first church I worked at, I had a youth worker that would, uh, we'd go to Amigos in East Ridge after church on Wednesdays. And he would lay a $1,000 bill track down on the table. Evidently, he did this every time we went. And I finally saw it after about three months. And I picked it up and crinkled it up and put it in my pocket. I said, what are you doing? I said, you put a $20 bill in that or don't lay that down. He said, well, man, that's for their soul. I said, no, that's a piece of paper with ink in it. Put a piece of piece of paper that has money in it, and then they may read it. We're going to have some inviter cards out here in the lobby over the next few weeks. Take those. Hand them out. Don't leave one without a tip in it, or I'll come kick you in the shins, okay? Love you. I'm off that. Here's the fifth one. Stop making excuses. Stop making excuses when it comes to inviting people. One, I hear people say this. I don't know how or what to say. We just gave you some things. Number two thing I hear is I'll witness with my life. That's awesome. Say words also. Communicate. Build a relationship with them. They're watching you, but they also want to hear from you. Here's another one that we hear a lot is that talking to other people about Jesus makes me feel weird. That's cute. Let me ask you this. How much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them, about the most life-changing message ever. I was watching a video the other day of a man who's an atheist. He's He's a comedian in Vegas. I cannot remember his name to save my life. But he was doing this story. And a gentleman who took this method, who realized the life on life method, he went to this guy's show all the time. They began a friendship. He was very outspoken as a Christian, just as outspoken as this gentleman was as an atheist. And he said, and this guy knew that I didn't believe in his God. And then it came after about two years of a relationship that he came up to me and handed me this Bible. And it's a little New Testament. He said he put his name in the front and his phone number. Said if I ever wanted to talk about anything to give me a call. And this guy's sitting here looking at the camera who's a self-proclaimed atheist. He says, you know what, this is incredible. This man knows that I don't believe or prescribe to his God. And yet he loved me enough that he thought this message that he preaches is so important that he shared it with me, even though he knew I would reject it. And then he made a statement that kicked me in the gut. He said, hey, Christians, I'm going to talk to you. 
How bad do you have to hate somebody to never share a message that you say could change their life? You're literally telling us to go to hell when you don't share the message with us. I was like, man, how many times have I done that? Because somebody that doesn't look like me or somebody that doesn't believe like me or somebody that doesn't want anything to do with religion or organized religion or church, I say, no, they're, they're too hard. They're too far gone. And I turn and walk the other direction. We have to make an invitation and stop making excuses. Consider this. You eat 21 meals a week. Some of us a few more. Why don't you eat a few of those meals with somebody that you can disciple? You have no idea the impact that you are making on people when you choose to be a connector, a disciple. Let me let you watch a video. This may show you a little bit better what this scripture is trying to say. See if this helps bring this scripture to life. Check this out. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. 
Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James, who was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. It's no longer about your ability, but your availability. So here's a takeaway today. Will you identify your one? Who is your one? Who is one person that you can walk out of these doors with and identify as somebody who doesn't know Jesus? But today, I want to start being a connector, being a disciple. I want to bring that person into a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to start today. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to make it intentional to reach out to them, to invest in their life. Don't expect them to know all the answers to every question. Don't expect them to look the part and act the part. And it may take years, but who's your one? Who's the one person that God has put in your life right now with the platform that you have that you can connect to life in Christ? It's not just about us as pastors glorifying God by connecting people to life in Christ by who shows up and sits in our maroon chairs. It's you, Rockbridge Community Church, that will love God love others, and live sin. Who's your one? Can you imagine what our church would look like if we all connected one? Can you imagine what our church would look like if our small groups had that open chair mentality and allowed those to come in? And let me just throw this in. Life is best lived in the context of community. We're going to be having group link coming up in a few weeks, and this is an awesome opportunity for you to get plugged into a small group. Start living life together. Can you imagine what our city, what our town would look like if the church of Jesus, not just Rockbridge, would connect one, would radically change this place? So my invitation to you today, will you identify your one and reach out to them today before the day's over? Don't go, hey, my preacher told me I needed to call you because you're going to hell and I need to have a relationship with you. Don't do that. But have a conversation. Invite them over for a meal. Take them out to lunch. Connect one. The invitation today is to ask the Spirit to lay that one person on your heart that you can connect. As we, Rockbridge Ringgold, glorify God by connecting people from all walks of life to life in Christ. Father God, we love you. And God, we are humbled and we are grateful for the fact that we can even call you our Father. God, we can connect people from all walks of life to life in you, not just here at church on Sunday, but every day of the week in the business meetings, in the boardrooms, at the ball field, in line at the store. Wherever we are at, 
I pray that we will use our platform that you have given us to spread the gospel, to make you know. I pray today, as we leave out of this place as a mighty army, God, that we will connect that one person to life in you and start a chain effect that brings a revival, a true move of you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done in this place today. I pray that you will lay those names on our hearts so strong that we have to connect with them. We love you. You're awesome. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.